Hey, welcome to the Grace Ops Podcast. Brian Phillips here. It's a really awesome backdrop that we have here today. Uh, Dr. Ken Hansen and I and Ryan Evan, we actually drove from our Chicago area location all the way down to Dayton, Ohio, where I've actually been driving down to this town for 14 years, where I, I discovered a very powerful community of scholars slash uh, the most powerful people I've ever met in my life <laughs> kind of thing. Um, but really, I say that, but jcstudies.com is the website. But the teachings of JC Studies, I kind of went, like 14 years ago, I went to this this place to become smart. And what I discovered was wholeness. I discovered Sabbath. I discovered really not people that just talked about or was trying to teach us a particular way, but they were actually living it. And it was very powerful to watch. And I became part of this Hebrew word that I knew nothing about back in the day, Havarim. I actually became friends with these people and really fell in love. It was kind of like this family that kind of created in my heart. And so I'm in, we're in Dayton, Ohio today with a very good friend of mine for 14 years now, uh, James Whitman, who is, is uh, the president and leader of JC Studies. We're actually at his house in his backyard because it's March, early March, and we're lucky enough to have 65 degree weather. So all of our podcast gears uh, are very portable. So you're going to hear the sounds of nature on this podcast. Uh, Brody the dog might even make a make a display. He <laughs> might come out and bark a little bit. But <laughs> Thank you. We're out here on a beautiful day, and we've got a really awesome, powerful topic lined up to talk about. So James, um, thank you for being a friend. Thank you for the, the labor that you you invest into the kingdom and taking the gospel forward and the way that you do. And I tell people all the time that I like messianic theology, but I always have to preface it. I'm like, I don't know what you think when I say that, because there's probably 10 flavors or 100 flavors of that stuff, right? Uh, it's typical of words, right? You know, I personally say I found the, the only the best one out there. You know, I'm like, I got lucky and found the best from the beginning, yeah. so I don't have to worry about pulling the weeds out. Well, I think, you know, in our previous discussion, and it's so good to be here with you, Brian, Ken, Ryan, um, it's good to be personal with each other, right? Beats Zoom. I want yeah. you to know. <laughs> so, yeah, and it, and you said family. That's so true. And you know, even yeah, we've been talking right about how words and the the way words have meaning, um, the way words accrue meaning. And so, even when you say you know messianic or the word theology, um, each of those has to be unpacked a little bit, right? So everyone gets on the same page. We like to say. Um, that the goal of of our you know teach our, our simple teaching ministry, we just have a deposit we'd like to make into each disciple's life, and that is to connect the testaments in order that they can flourish in their high calling. Because if salvation is anything, it's a it's a high calling in the here and now. It implies that the testaments have a disconnect, and I, and I think my experience shows that that operates on a lot of different levels. So this whole idea of connecting the Testaments, um, this whole idea of the fullness of time, uh, this is what Paul says when he's reflecting on Jesus coming in that Jewish context over 2,000 years ago to a, a time and place. This is how God is. He works within history, always has. He's, it's a place, Israel, they have a biblical history, they have a biblical language, they have a way of thinking. Um, and when we start with Jesus, 
we get a little closer to that way of thinking. And he really helps us bridge that gap between the Testaments and help us redefine our terms and helps us with our thinking and helps us with our living. Yeah, so I'm honored to be here with you today because you actually have impacted my life. I think I've told you many times how impactful it's been, but it's really been the one thing that when I found JC Studies, I'm really excited to have you in the Grace Ups culture because we're going to bring more and more of you and your flavor into what we're doing and really would like to kind of seat you in a special place in our Grace Ups culture as, as a teacher, one who would help keep us tethered to this ancient path. And so we're trying to empower men to live upright, that godly lifestyle, teaching men that grace isn't this sissy kind of thing. It's, a, it's actually very robust. It actually strengthens your mm-hmm. life, not, not overlooks your weaknesses, but, but helps you be a man and look at yourself and go, okay, now be more like Christ. <laughs> like yeah. Grace is empowering us to, to do the things that Christ did. So I'm really honored to be here at your home and, and just here with you. And it's kind of funny because, you know, all of us, even listening, you have those people in your lives where, like, you're always saying, yeah, let's do this and let's do that. Let's go here and there. And we've actually done a lot of that stuff. Yeah. But but really the last year we've been talking about, let's do this and partner. And, and then I'm like, I'm just going to drive to Dayton. <laughs> so, so Grab the are. guys and head south. <laughs> That's right. So here we are. And, and Dr. Ken's going to kind of take take us into the introduction of what where we're headed in this discussion. And. I look forward to all the input. It's going to be a great time. Thanks, Brian. Well, as a listener today, you are in for a treat uh, because these next few moments are really going to be worth your while. Today, we're going to talk about biblical manhood. Um, and we're going to talk about it maybe from a little bit different perspective than normally you've heard it. We're going to talk about it uh, from a Jewish perspective, from a, from a biblical perspective, which is a Jewish perspective, because right. we serve a Jewish Jesus, and our roots are Jewish. Mm. And uh, But most of us don't understand the constructs in the context of the Old Testament, so we're going to do that. We're going to talk about, we're going to start with a conversation in biblical manhood uh, about how to develop a biblical mindset, or what we often refer to as a biblical worldview, in our lives. We're going to talk about that with uh, James. What does that mean to develop a biblical worldview or mindset? How do we do that? We're going to talk a little bit about the importance of learning how to be a critical thinker today, something that's absent in our culture, in our society. And then we're going to allow that discussion to take us a number of different places afterwards. But it all starts biblical manhood uh, begins with developing a biblical mindset. Uh, so, James, I'm going to kick it over to you to kind of start this discussion today. It's interesting the way you framed that, Ken, is really helpful for all of us because to say that we have a worldview or a way, a framework by which we um, put all the pieces together of, the, of what we experience in our world, just to, just to say it, is really a healthy place to start because then we can identify, wow, I have a way of thinking. Right? It, is, it seems like that's where it begins for us. Um, you know, I, I love to use this illustration, especially with the, the, our children as we're growing up, you know, get out, get a ruler and say, okay, you, you were born into, let's say, I don't know where you'd want to be. You're at 10 inches or 11 inches as far as the <laughs> historical timeline goes. 
but you've been born right there on the ruler. And there's all of this life that has been lived by people before that time. And where you came in in that particular time and place, that's where you began to learn how to put the pieces together. So there is a worldview. I think you probably have heard this before, but you have a, you have a set of glasses that you're wearing by which you see the world. The Bible, then, what is offering a transformation into a what we would call a biblical worldview or a different set of glasses. It's the mind of Christ, Messiah there, or a way of thinking like God sees the world is the goal. So no matter where someone was born into that ruler of history, it's the same goal for each of them. God wants to raise up sons and daughters. And to do that is to teach them his ways. And that's basic Bible. I mean, I love David. David's a real model for us here. As a, as a man, Lord, teach me your ways. I love your word. I want more of it. I want understanding. I want you to show me how does it work in my life? How does it work in my family? How does it work in the world? Um, that cry is, is the basic cry to say, give me a different framework. Show me where the pieces fit. Help me understand. Yeah, and the Grace Ops culture and how we create all this, we really aim it at the masculine. Mm-hmm. And because really, to be quite honest, I mean, obviously God created man and male and female, so the female is just as important. But the masculine has been, it just seems like just being a man has been under so much attack that it causes men to become lazy. Um, it's hard to face the pressure of being a man. You know, Ken and I have talked many times, and Ryan and I have talked about the, um, the church cult- culture at large hasn't been too masculine friendly. You know, we walk into churches with mauve carpet and, you know, purple walls and you know men are like yawning like where what the heck is this right like just this these these we, we haven't really done you know you think about jesus's disciples like fishermen tax collectors like they were kind of like brutes you know <laughs> they were like and, and obviously they were men uh, how we were going to discuss here today about they understood biblical masculinity and we kind of want to take a snapshot because i i think it's so important to have your voice with our voices in this on, yeah, we're up against an attack, but like like you said, on the ruler. Okay, so you were born at ten, mm-hmm. on on twelve, you know, on a one foot ruler. <clears throat> the origins of the purpose of man haven't changed. That's correct. You know, they really haven't changed. So, like, what what did it look like in Jesus's day, or what did it look like in the in a Jewish mindset, maybe? What did it mean to be a man? Like, what did a man do? Because I think today men are confused. We don't know our purpose. You know, we, we kind of had a pre-talk that we were like, let's start recording now in our pre-talk. <laughs> and now we're finally back, and now we're finally recording. But in our pre-talk of this whole thing, it was, there was there's kind of like this, this pressure where men, it's hard for men to, one, know their purpose and really know who they are, to critically think. It's hard for men to, it's, it's I found even, in, especially in church culture, it's way easier for men to be ring kissers 
they sell a little piece of themselves to blend in and fit into some type of culture. Now, I'm not that politically correct, or I'm not even uh, very uh, savvy when it comes to that kind of stuff. So I may not be right, right, <laughs> in some of the ways I'm unfolding this, right? But my stance on how I see things is if you want me to sell myself to gain that from you, yeah, I'm not interested in that. You know, like in when it comes to like religious or church culture, um, if I can be myself around you and we can authentically have a relationship and I don't have to sell parts of myself to politically uh, please you, you know, those types of things. So anyway, I'm kind of going down a rabbit hole, I guess, a little bit here. But I just kind of feel like in this day and age of culture, what does it mean to be a man? What does it mean to be a what is biblical masculinity? What did a good Jew, what was Jesus like? What was his masculinity like? You know, like, because I think there's a lot of guys out there listening to this that are like, it's a hard day to face that. And it's sometimes, you know, it's easier to ignore it than it is to, to kind of, you know, lock horns with it. And so Grace Ops were like, hey, let's lock horns with this so that you can actually break through the obstacles, get to the other side and actually do some powerful things. Get back in tune with the biblical masculinity that God created us to be. So. Yeah, it goes back to your opening comments, Ken, right? That masculinity's culturally constructed to a certain extent and there's a relentless attack as Brian just pointed out against what I guess we could call um, genuine or biblical masculinity and isn't it interesting why is it under attack you know and I think it's a question we all have to ask ourselves and you might be listening going well I'm not sure really how it's under attack well let's look at it this way if if culture, if culture can build your framework in the way you see things, then it controls the narrative as to what masculinity and femininity should look like. So that, that means, in contrast to the scriptures, there is a true or there's an authentic masculinity. And according to culture, then, it's going to be skewed somehow. I guess we could call that a false masculinity. We're living in a day and age now where um, it was unlike, say, I don't know, 100 years ago, I didn't live, but I think you can understand that there's a, there's a type of false masculinity that swings to the other side, where it's in, it's in control of everything, and it, yeah. it's, it's domineering. That could be looked at as a false masculine as well. The caveman masculine. Fair enough. <laughs> yeah. Fair enough. I tried dragging my wife right here. She didn't like that. <laughs> Different day and age, pal. She's like, honey. I'm like, sorry. I was just trying it out. <laughs> so one of the, well, I guess that, and, and I'd love you guys to give some feedback on this. So I think one of the questions that it begins to frame then is what, you know, why, why is masculinity under attack? Or maybe more specifically, how is it under attack? In our culture, what you know, um, what is it that men are facing, as far as looking in the mirror and saying, what what does it mean uh, to be who God may be to be? I think the basic attack of the enemy has always been since the garden to distort, mm. to distort what God has created. Yeah. So when Adam, when the serpent approaches Eve, the words that he speaks to her are a distortion. Did God really say that? You know, you know, you can't trust God. You know, all of these casting, dispersion, doubt, and everything like this. So the attack on biblical masculinity and femininity 
And that's a really good point you make. It's not just against men. It's against women as well. Absolutely. Think of what's happening to women in our culture today. Yes. And the kind of twisted femininity that is often taught. Yeah. Right? Is the enemy trying to distort the true image because he's a counterfeiter? So the culture, he, through the culture, wants to present a counterfeit masculinity and femininity because he understands the power of biblical identity. There you go. All right. What made Jesus what made Jesus powerful? Jesus knew who he was, his identity. Hmm. His identity as a son of God and as the son of God. So the attack comes because if men truly began to understand their biblical identity, Oh my, the power that would be released on the earth. The things that could happen. The things that could be corrected. We talk about the overarching theme of the scripture is redemption. Mm-hmm. Re- God redeeming his creation. Not just mankind. All of creation eventually is going to be redeemed. Even this earth is going to be redeemed one day. Can you imagine if men began to operate in, a, in true, authentic, biblical masculinity, they found their identity as sons of God, knew who they were. We need a transformation in our nation right now. Yeah. That's how it's going to happen. What, what could happen? And so the enemy is doing everything that he can to attack that, hmm. whether it's a false view of what it means to be a man or uh, the, emascul- the emasculizing of man, men, uh, you know, Emasculation of men. Yes, all of this stuff. All starts with a mask. But go ahead, Ryan. Um, <laughs> no, I can't. This, this is <laughs> this is the struggle I have when I sit on a with podcast a with pastors and, and scholars. I can never get in, and then they take what I have to say word by oh, I'm word. I'm looking at your notes on your phone, bro. Yeah, I'm like, like what the heck, man? I was just about to say the same thing. We just need you to run the equipment. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah just run the equipment is right. I'm like, I'm just gonna chill, you know, and they scroll through Facebook. Take all of us right now. <laughs> You know, it goes back to something you we were talking about last night, and you brought up, Ryan, about uh, it goes back to our vision of God. Yeah. Yeah, and I was, I was going to say, you know, that just along those same lines, like like what Ken was saying, you know, of, of you know, he's a counterfeiter. And, 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 and what, what God intends for an authentic move, there's always going to be a counterfeit move when it comes to, uh, you know, you know, the agenda of the evil one, you know, with, with masculinity. Why? Because if he can pervert the two things that I always look at, you know, we can go through when, when, when Christ, uh, Jesus went to, through the wilderness, uh, into the wilderness, um, after he was baptized, um, you know, and you look at the, at the battle that he was having with Satan, right in the wilderness. And he was doing one of two things. He said, I was either, he was either attacking the nature or image of God, Mm -hmm. or he was attacking the nature of Jesus, right? He was attacking those two things because if I can pervert either one of those, I can create that wrong pattern of thinking that will produce a wrong pattern of living in your life, right? You'll begin to go down trails you weren't intended to go down. You'll begin to live in a way that you were never intended or created to live, you know? And so again, restructuring when we have these right mindsets and these right frameworks to, uh, to look through and these perspectives, that's what's so important, uh, about scripture and, and us really digging and wrestling with the scriptures is because it's, it's giving, you know, I always go back to that, that, that verse that says I'm seated with Christ in heavenly places, you know, because it allows me to, 
a different vantage point. It puts me on a higher plane of perspective when when I begin to see through his eyes and I begin to see his narrative. Mm-hmm. You know, it allows me to live in the earthly realm when I'm when I'm looking from the heavenly realm through through his scriptures. You know, in, in a new way, in a godly way. So. Yeah, and I think you know, as far as a man learning biblical masculinity. We, we, we kind of talked about this at one point here was I wrestled for years on this statement because I struggle with this statement before I ever presented it publicly to people was, you know, the world has a version, this twisted version of we're all sons and daughters of God, right? You know, everybody's a son and daughter. Well, if that's really true, then w- there's really no need for the cross. There's no mm-hmm. real need for redemption. And we were talking earlier about how really the way we can look at it, uh, men, is that we are born, we're born actually good, created in the image of God, but we're born into exile. And so the God of Israel casts Adam and Eve into exile. And as I've learned through JC studies and your teachings, it's just, but then God goes with them. You know, and that's such a powerful It's an important move. Thing. I think yeah, it's an so important biblical move. masculinity, understanding. These, these, we're really trying to help you understand the origins of the greatest thing I've learned from you and Dwight is how to think. Yeah, you know, not not what to think, but how to think. And I think that that's kind of why I get scared to learn from certain people because I don't want my brain to be washed over <laughs> or my own my own analysis or my own critical thinking. So I think when we look at the snapshot of kind of what we're saying is like b- biblical masculinity has its origins. And, and these deep foundations and these identities. So if I'm a son of God, if, if we're, we're not all sons of God, we're created an image of God. That's what we all have in common. I become a son through the adoption, through, through the what the Holy Spirit does in my life. And I could, I felt that I had to walk through some very painful days walking through the fire. As I've heard how you kind of said it, you know, mm-hmm. I went through that fire. Like I remember going through the fire where the Holy Spirit was sealing in me my sonship. Mm. And it was that adoption process that I don't doubt to this day. I don't doubt that I'm a son of God. You know, I just don't doubt it. And from that place, that's all part of how I found my identity. Um, But I think what I'd like to just kind of insert here is it's not overnight. It's not like a one and done. You know, you're not going to read three paragraphs and have the two points of, you know, your walk with God. It's a... It's a continual crashing into the things of God, a continual discipline, a continual, it's a continuum Mm -hmm. of this beautiful journey, you know, not just a moment, because I think people make mistakes when they live from just a moment and experience. It's like, build some history with God, build some history with the people of God. So for me, the origin of discovering a lot of my purpose has to understand uh, the adoption process, understanding I am a son of the living God, not because I didn't save myself. You know, we can get into that if we want to here or maybe later, but I didn't save myself. God's salvation is redeeming and making all things new. And now as one of his, through receiving the cross, this grace, I get to now partner with him to make all things new. You know, and, and so that's, that, that's a huge part of my purpose, I mean, it sounds really simple, but I, I get to part of my purpose is partnering with the energy of God, whether you're a businessman or whether you're a great employee or your boss or you're just maybe you're a gas station clerk or you work at Starbucks, wherever that might be. 
you're partnering with the Great Commission energy to, to bring heaven into the earth. Nice. Isn't that a purpose? That's part of our purpose, right? Uh, well, you know, it makes yeah. me think of why the Gospels, right? Is it Are they just there to get us to the death of Jesus? Even in, in you, you, you understand that they, they, the pattern of life. So you, you said, you know, we're born into the world, um, whether, you know, somebody wants to debate good, bad, or otherwise that the, the biblical picture is clear. We don't have the spirit. That was, that's what we're made for. That, uh, that dwelling of God based on the within us. Yes. Which creates the exile, right. the exile motif in the Garden of Eden, with, without that scripture. So we're subject to the powers. Um, you know, our own weaknesses, um, uh, to uh, what others, uh, you know, wreak upon us. And as we grow, as we're able to wreak upon others. And so when we see the absolutely well said, the salvation work of God's Son as the Messiah of Israel— the resurrection becomes so incredibly important as he defeats sin, hell, and death. The coming of the Spirit then, the book, beginning of the book of Acts, when it really uh, takes us back to the pages of the Gospels where we begin to follow Jesus the same way men and women followed him. And he became a real present mentor to them teaching them, revealing to them who the Father is. And isn't it interesting, you look at the disciples, you've got quite a, uh, you look at his male disciples, his 12, you've got quite a spectrum of masculinity represented there. (laughs) Yeah. And that may be one of the very first traps laid by the enemy is that masculinity looks this way only. I like what you're saying. You know, when when we are restored into relationship with God, we have gone through this adoption process by grace, right? And our faith has laid a hold of this, and we receive his spirit, which is the spirit of adoption. It cries out, Abba. We begin to follow Jesus, and he it is who teaches us the purpose of our life, the calling, the way we go about it. This topic we're on about how do I discover my purpose, the purpose of a man, right? What's my why? What's my purpose? What's my drive? Because once we discover those things, and and I'm going to bring it up as a little, it it, it might be funny, might be a little off, but that's what I do. And uh, (laughs) Adam, God creates Adam and Eve. He doesn't tell them how to uh, be intimate. You know, they don't have to read a manual on how to, how to create babies. (laughs) they kind of had the chemistry to figure it out, right? And I think that that's mysterious. Like God, it's like when we discover the purposes of God, what is my Father in heaven doing? What's His? What's He trying to do in the earth? The the scarlet thread of redemption, the gold golden thread of the ruling and reigning kingdom. Mm-hmm. You know, He's the blood saves, and but the scepter of God rules over my life. Right, the crown. You know, Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father, and He wants to save me and, and rule me. You know, we don't. You know, so as a man, I have to come to terms with that. That my, you know, the, the question we were talking about earlier, what did Israel do to save herself? Right? Yeah. Right? And that, that's what Dwight asked you one day, it's right? It's a great question. What, 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 what did that do to you? What good you deed that? did they what do in deed, Egypt yeah. that moved God to come and rescue them? Of course, the answer is 
Nothing. But it went back to what? What did you say? Remember the prophetic? God was fulfilling his promise. Yeah, he was being faithful to his word. There you go. And I think as men, once we discover who God is more, we discover what is God being faithful to? Because mm. my purpose is going to line up a lot with that. He, he's given me, he's gifted me, he's given me skills. You know, some of us have skills to run companies. Some of us have skills to create products. Some of us have skills to manage well. Some of us have skills to... Uh, to do the small little tasks that no one else cares about, but you think it's the coolest thing in the world. And God gave all of his skills in all these different ways, but it's a lot like Adam and Eve. He didn't give us the details of how to be, you know, how to go create children. It's like he gives us these desires, and he's like, you'll figure it out. <laughs> and that's where that, that it's, it's kind of mysterious, isn't it? Like, I love what James said. Um, what I said. I've been mulling this. Yes, I love what you said as well. I just want to add to it. Yes. No, I want to go back to because this is what you're talking about. But the uh, you, you said the trap of the enemy is this that masculinity has to look like this. This Correct. is the only version. You know, I found that the enemy gets us even in one of a couple of ways. He either gets us to underdo, not do, or overdo things. Yeah, the no trap balance. of the enemy. There's one way, right? Mm-hmm. There's one way to to be a man or look like a man. The reality is, and I want to throw this out: is could it be this that we're talking about the need for biblical masculinity? That there is a mindset that God wants every man to have that is common. Yes. But the expression of that biblical mindset has to do with the way that God wired you, your personality. Mm -hmm. So you could be a biblical man operated in biblical masculinity and hate sports Mm -hmm. and be the geekiest nerdy guy, (laughs) right? But you are a biblical man. Yes. You, you, You are fully in the category of biblical masculinity. Or... You could be the 320-pound lineman on the football team, physical brute, weightlifter, whatever, into sports. And if you have the, the biblical mindset, the right mindset, then that's biblical masculinity and everything in between those spectrums. And, and so that just really captured my attention. That, that one thing, the trap of the enemy is this, that we would make biblical masculinity very narrow. Yes. This is what it is. Yeah, and I think that we've got distracted, right? We get distracted from the essence or the substance of what God's intentions are by being distracted with the expressions, the different expressions of it. And then we begin to rank or categorize a different expression and create some sort of superiority within these expressions of masculinity or what we believe what culture believes this should look like and i think it's simple i think it goes back to genesis 2 and it's kind of was i've been thinking about it while we've been sitting here because you were we had this conversation a little earlier i think before we started recording about genesis and god creating man and woman you know and then the separation that happened and uh but when it goes into uh genesis 2 where he's talking about the garden and he gives them the assignment in the garden to work it and keep it yeah you know, and and really, I started thinking like, okay, so there's God has a mission, right, within that garden. He has an intention for the earth, in the, at that point, and then he he places us in it to work it and keep it. 
right? And it's kind of going with, like with what you're saying is like, where are you in that picture? And how are you being found faithful to work what God has given you and to keep it, to provide for it, to protect it, to guard it? Um, you know, and, and it kind of just, it's like, so in everything that we're doing, every we're all called to different spheres. Some of us are tradesmen. Some of us are ministers. Some of us are doctors, all these different things. So how am I in touch or in tune with God's mission? Um, you know, that could be on the, on, on, on the big scale, right? God's total mission of, of the great commission and all these other things to go out and make disciples. And then it could be God's mission, within my specific sphere of influence, right? Of what God is wanting to do right here in my hospital. What is God wanting to do right here in the, the sphere of influence that I have? Um, and then how am I pursuing that, right? There's this pursuit. I think of masculinity. I always look at my wife and it's like, right? Where we pursue them and we go after them. And it's that same relationship with Christ where we're, we're engaged in a pursuit, wanting to know who, to know his thoughts, his mission. Um, and then we have this responsibility then to provide and to protect. Um, and, and it, it kind of is getting into that thing where it's not about the expression. It's about what was God originally intending, mm-hmm. even in those words when he says, work it and keep it. Like, I, I don't know, it just kind of keeps sticking out to me, like with what you're talking about of of God had God has this blueprint, right? And it really comes down to a mindset of masculinity and a framework for masculinity, not the expression of it. James, in this discussion we're having here, we've talked about the garden a bit, but to point the discussion to uh, Jesus' masculinity and the masculinity of the 12, like to go into that world, that snapshot, go back to the ruler of that, you know, go back to the on the ruler yeah. analogy you had. Mm-hmm. Let's rewind back to that day. Um, using some of the concepts we've thrown out here, <clears throat> what was the biblical masculinity um, like in Jesus's day, what were their passions? What were their uh, maybe some things we've left out or some things we've overlooked? Maybe like what are what are some of those? Um, I mean, mine. You know, I think of the text, and there's, yeah. there, there's certain things that we've yes. we maybe don't emphasize as much. But what would you? How would you respond to that description? Well, one thing that the world of Jesus that uh, what we call scholars call Second Temple period. Um, uh, when they come back from exile, and that's that period, that really fervent period that when, when we're in seminary, they call them the silent years, which is kind of humorous because one thing people are never, and that's silent. And the same with God. It's not like there's a dormancy. There, it's an incredibly fertile time of development for Israel, right? There's a lot going on. There was the whole Greek period where they were conquered. Alexander dies. They're divvied up into, you know, a a series of regional uh, control. The Jews always, um, always battling for their call, their sense of calling collectively as a people um, to be a light to the world, you know, to be the, to be the preservers of the, of God's holy word, to sanctify his name in all the world. These themes, these biblical themes were always a part of the Jewish world even even to the point where Jesus tells us, you know, this is the pattern prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. May we sanctify your name in all that we think, speak, and do. Um, so we've got this fervent and real exciting part of, of history going on where we have writings from that period. Um, so we know what a lot of the conversations were. 
What I love about this period of time is it really fostered, um, it empowered the masculine. It empowered maleness to follow their God-given calling uh, as a nation, um, as I just highlighted. So they, it, it, it was a culture that valued God's word from the earliest days of, of your infancy. Infancy, you would, the scriptures were a part of daily life. Some of that's idealized, right? Um, but that was always the goal. Um, to love God by loving his word and obeying him. And part of that obedience, the most, the, the most primary part of that was bringing all those in your circle of influence into that love, into that cherishing of the word of God. So in a sense, it's a little bit, um, you, you talked about the spectrum earlier, Ken, right? That, that comes right from Genesis 1, a scripture we keep alluding to, right? And that is, God said, let us make man in our image and after our likeness. And that's a, and I'm, I'm in Genesis 1, 26, brilliant text that has a lot of great Jewish commentary. What does it mean to be image? What does it mean to be likeness? And you notice it precedes um, uh, any discussion of male and female. So who are we? We're made in God's image. We're made in God's likeness. As Brian, you were pointing out earlier, and... Um, he goes on to say, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock, over all the earth and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So we've been fleshing that out a little bit. This created wonder is a gift from our great creator. And he wants us to follow his pattern and work the world. Um, that word dominion, I think, is not what we would think it is. It's, it's take responsibility. Be the steward. Take care of it. We're imitating God from the very beginning. And then he goes on there, verse 27. So God created Adam, man, or that's, it's also the word for dirt. <laughs> he made the dirt man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them and God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. So there are a couple things going on that were very important these are foundational to the biblical worldview of Jesus. There is this great creator. And that the creation, building one thing upon another, each thing that's created has purpose, and it's working in harmony, and it's taking care of everything until he gets to us. And he says, this is my crown achievement. This is the goal, the telos of creation. You, <laughs> in your maleness and your femaleness, and then he blesses them. He blesses them. And Brian, that brings me back to something you said earlier. You know, that spirit of adoption is a spirit of blessing. Settling us once and for all. That we're reconciled with our Father. When I, and our Father, just like he gave to his people through the priesthood, the Lord wants to bless us. The Lord keeps us. He lifts his face upon us. His countenance towards us is favorable. He gives us shalom. That settling things with God. From there becomes the revelation of God's great creation. And so when we get to Genesis separating the two, we have to remember they were made one. Separating the two creates that spectrum, right? So 
I think we could say, and I don't think this is, you know, we can all have some fun with this, right? The text is meant to be a delight. That separation of male and female is going to leave a little feminine in the male, and it's going to leave a little masculine, the maleness in the female. (laughs) So you're going to have these spectrums. And and I think one thing that really, um, you know, it's really heavy on my heart in the church today and buying into cultural concepts doesn't have a place for a male who's a little more intuitive, a, a little more emotionally sensitive. Now, I'm not saying emotional, but sensitive um, to that side of femininity or a female who is is sensitized a little bit more to a type of maleness. Right. So in, in labeling these things, we do a lot of damage to... The, the beauty of being made in God's image and likeness. And the beauty of taking all your clothes off and looking in your mirror, What according to your equipment, that's what you are. <laughs> <laughs> but with variables, right? Yes, kind because they're, talking about like, that, that's the beauty of yeah, it, right? Spectrum. In the kingdom, in your original creation, that's a beautiful, you're made in a beautiful way. You bring things to the table that are unique to you and contribute to God's kingdom and his redemptive plan for humanity. So for the church to buy into cultural labels, the one type of masculinity or the one type of femininity then creates a, 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 a it takes places away from God's table for people to sit. You know, fit. It also pushes people into boxes so in our culture, if you are a male that has some female expressions that emerge, you are more intuitive, you are more emotional, you are immediately dubbed, labeled, put in a box, oh, you are, you know, maybe homosexual. And the reverse for a female, oh, you must be a lesbian, right? And, and this is the problem that we do the same thing with God. We try to put God in a box, yeah. With our theologies, with our system, we try to categorize everything, and God won't be put in a box. So why should his creation be put in a box? When we try to put things in a box, bad things happen. Instead of seeing, I love that that word, the spectrum. Yeah. That as a male, there's a spectrum. As a female, there's a spectrum. And all those spectrums can are within you know, the biblical mandate. But let's not put people in a box. Let's not label them. Oh, they must be. Correct. Because in doing that, that's exactly what the enemy wants us to do. We fall into the world's trap, his trap. Yeah. I love that. Boy, that, that yeah. explains a lot yeah. to me. That gives me a whole new framework to see that whole discussion with. Yeah. Yeah, because we... And, and so if what we need is men is to appreciate the gifting in our brothers. Not judge it. Not try to have them conform to us or us to conform to them. We need to acknowledge we need the spectrum. Right? Yeah, I mean, I think for me, you know, I kind of came, and I think a lot of it had the spectrum idea, also how you were raised. Yeah. You know, if you were raised with a father, yeah. if you were raised with, a, you know, your parents are still married or maybe divorced, divorce runs rampant, you know, even in church culture, all of these things impress on us when we're children. And, you know, some of us can have these um, wild experiences that are very painful. Yeah. And, you know, it, and that goes to 
how it, it can stunt us. It can help us grow. Um, you know, be a tough guy, right? Like, you know, we're really careful with Graysofts to not define this as masculinity. Yeah. We try to aim it to be to this biblical concept of masculinity, which is kind of like a shared, it's a shared mentality. It's, a, it's shared values. It's, uh, we can all do this together. And I think that our culture, not all together, but I think it's definitely in church culture, but we, we've, we've lost like the collectiveness. We've mm-hmm. lost like, like you said, like the brotherhood, like let's do this together and I'm, I'm not looking because that's kind of a tough one, right? Like I, because I was, I am a kind of a jock, right? Like I, I was an athlete. I, I was kind of the tough guy mentality, you know, kind of still have that kind of thing, right? Like, you know, I may not be able to beat you up, but you'll know you got in a fight with me, you know, that kind of <laughs> stuff, right? Like it's like, you know, I might be the toughest, but you'll know I was, I was in the battle, you know, kind of thing. But, um, and not to define that as masculinity because that, I found that lifestyle, my own makeup to, I would describe it a lot of as broken masculine. You know, yep. there's a uh, being a tough guy is not always the answer. You know, and I think um, I, you know, so for me, the context of what I want to help men discover is what is your purpose and the origins of, of, of what God created. Or if He created them both male and female, they were together. Mm-hmm. So I guess we're we're already kind of stepping into the separating it out, right? Yeah, like absolutely. So, so if we were to separate out, the masculine has variables, like we've talked. But what is the purpose of a man? Like yes. What, why do you breathe air? And then the older you get, you realize I'm not going to be breathing air much longer. You know, even if it's just 20 years from now, 20 years is nothing. It goes by so quick, right? We're going to blink a couple of times, and 2025 is going to be here. I mean, it's just. You know, we're gonna we're gonna wake up like two days from now. It's gonna be Christmas again. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, wait, but let's get through spring and summer first. But you know, like, what are the like when I think about Christ, and I think about you know, so you think about God is mainly recognized in the scriptures as the masculine. Yes, He. Um, you know, maybe we could talk about that a little bit. What's the point of that? Um, and what's the point of a man? And then I don't want to go deep into this, but it brings up this monotheism and the one god and the trinity language of because it's interesting some people i trip up on it still sometimes when i look at the life of jesus i'm like but that's god they're all one like the holy spirit's helping me but that's god they're all one you know like so dwight had put it brilliantly in one of the classrooms i was in with him and i think i remember correctly when he said you know the best i can say is in essence they're all the same but in function they're different Right. There's different functions of the Godhead or the same spirit. Like, didn't he say just say he wasn't going to go very deep? It's kind of good. Yeah. <laughs> well, I meant like not long. Well, I think that we're on a topic where the purpose of a man. I mean, it's like it's I, not a simple answer. No, correct. I think it's great. Yeah. It goes back to something you mentioned a moment ago. What is our calling? Yeah. We wander because as men, we don't understand our calling. So even in, you know, in the Jewish culture, even in the Old Testament, what what did those Hebrews, what did those Hebrew males see as their calling in life? What was driving them? And I think going back and understanding that helps inform us. No question. No question. You could speak to that. Well, that is, that is, I think, and we keep circling back to it. And Ryan mentioned it earlier. And Brian, you've been talking about it, Ken. It is. It starts with who is God. What he. What is he like? We're coming up on the season of Passover, 
here on our calendars. We're all sitting out back here. And of course, Jesus was crucified during the Passover season. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, Paul says in Corinthians, um, Messiah Christ, our Passover Lamb, has been sacrificed. Taking us back to the, the, the great archetype of salvation, the deliverance from Egypt. So I'm, I'm just going to, I think most of you have the background to the story. We have the children of Israel in Egypt, and we have the Father acting out of his steadfast love, out of his constancy, out of his unswerving commitment to the work of his hands. He's been, from the very beginning, working to undo the effects of the fall. And he finds his servant Abraham, and so begins this incredible journey uh, materializing and culminating in the, the expression of his purposes, Israel. And so we have that archetype of salvation. We're in captivity. We're enslaved to a cruel pharaoh. We're without hope. We're without God in the world. He enters into our captivity. And he brings about his deliverance, his time, his way. He leads us through the Red Sea. And he leads us to his mountain of promise. And there he delivers what we've been missing, and that is his very presence. <laughs> that paradigm is the motif of Judaism to this day. So when they rehearse, relive, reenact as families and communities, the Passover, they are talking about God, his character, his activity in history, what he has done, he does and will do. And it's getting caught up in his redemptive purposes that kind of, you know, it, Ryan, you said it, we're seated with Christ in the heavenlies, right? Kind of, kind of elevates this discussion. We've, just to acknowledge that there is, uh, so let me, let me back up and just summarize it my thought this way, and pardon me if I'm a little all over the place, but if there is such a thing as a, a worldview that is not God's, and there is such a thing of a way of looking at the world that is more through God's eyes, right? Moving from one to the other and adopting his ways, then we do see male and female, right? But we also understand that we have his blessing. We now begin to operate who we are out of that blessing, and it kind of elevates the discussion. We're not even given over to um, cultural categories. We are the people of God who've been delivered. We are redeemed people who are now working with our Father in a redemptive partnership so that others can have the exact same experience. And that is the call of every man and every woman in the kingdom. Being who we are, learning to, learning to be comfortable with the blessing in our own skin, getting healed is part of the process of following Jesus in community, is it not? In that daily getting healed, in that daily getting filled, in that daily vision of what we say, what we do matters, and beginning to cooperate with him in the immediate and the local, that's, that's what it means to be a royal priesthood. 
And suddenly, you know, we find ourselves just growing more comfortable with ourselves and more uh, comfortable with other selves who are not like us, but who have the similar purpose and passion and calling. In Jewish culture, the blessing of the father to his children is so important. It's crucial. And you just said, when we understand, that's a huge word. When we understand, we already have God's blessing. The thought that immediately popped into my mind was, then I'm no longer operating in an orphan or a slave mindset. Very good. Which now frees me and empowers me to move away from the fear that holds me back, the insecurities that hold me back, the lies that hold me back, to now become what he created me to be so I can do what's in his heart to do, which is to restore the creation. Nice. That's powerful. How many people don't understand? Just think about it in a natural, worldly thing, how much children long for the blessing of their father. And when they don't get their father's blessing or they don't feel they have it, they act out, they do all kinds of things to get their father's attention to try and get that blessing. Mm. I I don't want to just quickly move past that. For us to understand, we already have, and he blessed them. He made the male and female, and he blessed them. Man, that's powerful. I already have God's blessing. So I don't, I, I can be secure. I can be confident. He's for me. He's behind me. I can venture out. If I make a mistake, he's not going to cast me aside. He's going to remain faithful to the covenant because I'm his son. Wow, that's that's powerful. And that that bless that concept of blessing while you're talking about it really was, was making me think because we're you know we're talking about like the right this redemptive plan of God and um, you know you think of like well what was God's intentions even with the garden it was to dwell with His creation there you go with them in the midst of them. So then we're we're sitting here talking about like desiring the blessing, right? My dad even said, you know, how 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 we as sons we long for um, the blessing of our father. And many times I can I can I can go back whether it's a personal experience, whether it's many that I've talked to, and say, what is it? Is it a blessing? As in like you have my blessing, right? Like <laughs> mm-hmm. no, it's my longing for the blessing of your presence to be in my life. Nice. You know, and it started making me think about the whole concept of Emmanuel, God with us. You know what I mean? We are a people um, created for the indwelling Holy Spirit. Like God would be with us. That's a part of the redemption plan. You know, is that is that God's with us? You know, and and it's we're going after His presence to once again. And he is His intention is that His presence would once again dwell um, unlimited, on you know, freely with His people. And and it's that blessing that we that we attain, you know. Wow, <laughs> wow, that's that's. Well, I, I kind of uh, took down some notes here as we're all kind of sharing. I, I I drew this little thought up. So again, trying to speak to the question: How does a man find his purpose? We're all speaking to it very brilliantly, I'd say, in a lot of ways. Um, if you're, each one of us have gifts that are irrevocable from God. So whether you ever come into God's salvation or not, those gifts are from God, and they will differentiate you from the next, the person next to you. You'll have a, your own 
varied expression of these gifts and those gifts are what we take into the marketplace and and we produce wealth and we produce you know god produces the wealth but he gives us the skill sets to do it yes so that's i i it all goes back to this and this could actually be an offensive statement to a lot of people maybe even in half the world could be offended by the statement israel is the purpose of a man <laughs> like now i'll break that down real quick but if God chose a people and sanctified them, set apart, set them apart, which was Israel, his chosen people, he, he sanctified this people so that he could train them how to live upright. You know, if we want to throw our language in there, train them how to be godly and live upright so that the way they lived, they would be like guardians that would sanctify the name of God and set him apart among the nations. So if that's God's, if that's what God's doing from the beginning, we're going back to the ancient origins. I always kind of challenge you guys: if you're just going to try to find your purpose at your table with your Bible open, and you're not in a community, and you're just doing this from a singular purpose, like God, I'm praying for what my purpose is. I, I always tell them you're going to be lacking if you don't see the bigger picture what God's doing, and if you're detached from a community. That's why we want Grace Ops to actually form into this kind of like national community in your own backyard where, yeah, I may not meet everyone that listens and we all may not meet each other. Maybe we will one day in, in some way or shape, but it's to do this together, to do this in the context of a brotherhood, um, you know, the, the pack of disciples, discipleship. So it's kind of like the, the purpose that God's on is built through Israel and Yeshua's cross, his salvation that I'm adopted into seals me into Israel. Hmm. Seals me into this grafted, I'm grafted into this tree. And the purposes there are, when, when my gifting comes into God's salvation and there's redemption and humility and virtue, I can partner with God's plan and that equals divine work. My work becomes divine. And that divine work is going to be connected to a priesthood. The duties, the everyday believer is a priest unto God. And the scriptures are in Revelation. I've never forgot this. It's always kind of, it's kind of like branded in my head. But like it says, he made them a kingdom and priest unto God. So our purpose is vertical. It's all to the Father. That was the duty of a priest, right? Mm-hmm. The Father, the Father, the Father, the temple, the presence. And and then it says, then they will reign with him in the earth. And and so that's what the enemy is really attacking. You know, the, the enemy is attacking that purpose and identity that we would just be singularly fragmented, broken away from the purpose of God in our own little way, doing our own little thing, just stay in your own little world, um, you know, try to figure out your purpose on your own. Because I think the purpose of mankind is very difficult for people to figure out. And I don't think the answer is easy. We can't say it's a one, two, three thing. It's not a microwave answer. But what we're saying is come into the origins, comes in, come into the beauty. It's, it's taken me 25 years to even be able to talk about it this way. Mm-hmm. But yet, at the same time, I came in on the ruler, my own ruler, that analogy. And I've been learning as I go. and Yielding, learning from Ken. Ken taught me so many things. He still does. You teach me. 14 years now, right? Like mm-hmm. I learned from Ryan. Ryan teaches me things all the time, like his perspective, his depth, his intensity. You know, I, I learned from all that. And, and so what goes into the making of a man's purpose? I think it's simple on the one hand with the answer of God in Israel. And on the other hand, it's like, good luck, right? Go figure it out. <laughs> Mystery. <huh? laughs> Mystery, yeah. <laughs> right? Hmm. So can we even answer this question? <laughs> How smart are we? We answer questions we can't. There's no answer to. <laughs> I think the answer is 
we're pointing people in a direction. You know, God doesn't give us a roadmap. He gives us a compass. Mm. He says to Abraham, Abraham, go that way. He didn't say, you know, take uh, 294 to 90 and then get off at exit 67. He said, Abraham, go that way. It was, it was a direction. And then as we walk out the direction, the Holy Spirit is faithful to unfold the details. Mm-hmm. And I think there are some big rocks that we're talking about today. When we talk about the mindset is what sets the direction. Yeah. Your mindset determines your direction, determines how you view things, how you see things. And so when your mindset is correct, when you get that biblical mindset, the details will take care of themselves in your pursuit of God. Yeah, because I kind of look at it like when I discover what God's doing in the plurality of his people, then my individual expression fits into that context. And I think that's a big missing link. There's so much war against the church. And I'm not even saying we're doing church right. You know, I mean, I think there's a lot of that's going to be reformed in these post-COVID or endless COVID days, whatever (laughs) these turn turn out to be. But... There's, there's a reformation, and, and I, I wouldn't claim, I run a church, I wouldn't, you know, you run a church, I wouldn't claim that we do it perfectly, or even first century-like, you know, but um, I do know that when I discover God's purpose in his people, Israel, I can find, if I'm, if I'm in tune with that, I'm, because that's what he's bringing us into, Israel is the light of the world, into the Jew first, right, then to the Gentile, there's, there is still an order of honor, we're all equal. But there's still a, a measure of honor because we want to, you know, we were talking earlier, like the, the hard work the Jews did to bring us the Torah, to bring us the Bible, to bring us the scriptures, and then to go back, like you were saying, to the Dead Sea Scrolls and go, oh, they got it right. I mean, it's, it's all <laughs> exactly right. right. <laughs> exactly right. Yeah, no. Good work. Like, so, so I think there's a, that could be an offensive thing, right? Like Israel, the purpose of man, like good luck figuring that out. But, but I think that's kind of says a lot. Yeah. You know? well, I don't think it's too complicated. I, I, mean, I think that well, I mean, it is. Everything's <laughs> everything's got this weird tension in it. But, you know, I, I, I look at, like, the beauty of it. Again, I go back to that Genesis, that creation story where, where, where we see that God had this intention to dwell in the midst of a people, right, his created people, and, and how we drifted from that and how we got this redemptive story. And then, then he, he, he chose, right? He could have chose anyone, but he chose Israel, Right, he chose Israel for a def- a, a divine purpose um, to distinguish himself from every other god and from every other way and from every other perspective, and then in the beauty and the mystery of Christ, he grafted the Gentiles in, yes. you know, and and we became what a part of his people. Yes, you know, like it's such an such a beautiful story that we get to walk out and and even going back to like like i always thought about that like with abraham when and it's like it's so frustrating right and when we're trying to quote unquote discover our purpose or our calling or or why has god placed me here as a man and and what is my individual authentic expression of of godliness through my expressions and through my divine work in um in this world and you know it gets so frustrating because we always have this mindset of arriving somewhere, right? It's like like we're going to attain something. Mm. But even going back to the story of the garden, it's like we, we realize that God is relational. And so when he gives 
Abraham a direction and not an endpoint, it's because he's wanting to have relationship along the way, right? He's like, I'm not here just to get you from point A to point B. That's not my goal. My goal is actually to what? Be with you, to go with you. You know, and and then then you get into what right? The, he goes before me, and he's behind me, my rear guard, and all this other stuff. But the point of it all to me is that we have to begin to see that that God is about the journey. He's about the relation in the midst of it. Of like, He wants to dwell with me, so He's going to be with me, and He's going to go with me. And and I think having that mindset, like you know, I I've struggled that with 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 those concepts throughout my life of just wanting to get to that place, right, or just wanting to arrive and. Or wanting to attain a certain thing of like, well, when I get here, I'll be this. And when I do that, I'll feel this way. When that was never that was never the point in the first place. God was just inviting me into a journey with him to to build relationship. And I would discover, you know, it's, it's kind of like that, that beautiful. I mean, we've had this talk about, about revelation, right? And, and about the difference between um, data and da'at, right? Yes. That, that whole concept of, of allowing... The word to uh, bring revelation, and as we gain revelation, we worship, right? Because there's an awe and a reverence in it, and it creates this beautiful cycle. And I think that's that's His whole intention, right? That to, to just be in communion with us as a community, and that's why it's so powerful when we can do it together. Mm. And I'm looking at you, mm. and I know you. I've watched you live for over ten years now, and I, you know, I hear you speaking, and I. I love hearing you speak because I can kind of go back through kind of like a little catalog I'm spinning through in my mind of all these talks we've had and frustration points and like take a moment if you if it, you know you might not have any anything that hits you but I just think about your journey and the tension because the other thing we wanted to bring into this discussion was like being authentically you like not losing ourselves in somebody else's label you know that that statement that quote I don't know who made the quote I'm sure somebody awesome i've been saying this quote for years but it, it, you know we're all we're all born originals but we you know so many people in the earth die copies and one of the reasons why you and i have gotten along so well is because we're both trailblazer types and there's a huge ache inside of us there's a huge part of us that's not satisfied every day when we wake up because that's the creative part of us like oh we just talk about your pain with that your frustrations like if you don't mind, or if you can think of any, like, you know, I think of like your, your style, right? It's not a typical style, like your label, like trying to fit into a category it just doesn't work. Like kind of like David putting on Saul's armor, right? Like, mm-hmm. you know, you, 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 you don't fit anywhere. Yeah. So what's, you know, how the heck do you live this stuff out? It's, it, there's a pain and a beauty and all that, you know? I think the simplest way that I can put that journey for me um, really goes back to a lot of the stuff we've been talking to is um, growing in the revelation of my sonship of that I was created with a unique purpose um, with a unique expression to reveal a unique aspect of the glory of God in the earth I think that's the best way that I I could kind of express that journey for myself is as um, as I've grown in my identity and my sonship, and I, and I, as I've learned to accept it, like to accept the way my father's created me, to accept the way um, my father's designed me, and to be okay, and to know that I'm fully accepted, 
You know, like I think that's what what creates the great chasm between the orphan and the son is that I am I when when you walk in sonship, when you understand the principle of the spirit of adoption and sonship, we come into this place where I am fully loved, fully accepted, um, just the way I am. Mm-hmm. You know, and I am in process still, right? Like doesn't mean I'm right, doesn't mean I'm wrong, just I'm in process. I'm I'm in this relational journey with Christ where he is perfecting me and sanctifying me and cleansing me and, and, and conforming me more into that image of Christ, right? And his likeness, like we were referring to earlier. Um, and, and I just, I, I think that over the years, I've just began to grow more and more into that. And, and I've had tons of frustrations throughout, <clears throat> but, but um, my frustrations always to me, we're always linked to my own expectations of what I thought something should look like. Mm-hmm. You know, um, that, that for me has been a really defining thing is that we go into these interpretation modes with Christ, right? <laughs> Whether it's scripture, the way we, um, you know, we were talking earlier about contextual, like, like, like it's very important that we learn how to read scripture and how then to apply that scripture based on its context um, because, because outside of that context, and, and if we begin to pervert our interpretations, we can take on the wrong meaning and then have this wrong, uh, this wrong um, view or, you know, in the eye of our imagination of what that outcome should be. And then when it's not, we, we fall flat on our face because we, we feel like God, God has failed us. Mm. God has, was not faithful to his word. We, we feel all these different things, or we take it onto ourselves of saying something's wrong with me. Um, you know, whatever that could be, there's sin in my life. There's this, right. We can get into all these crazy things. Um, you know, I think along that journey. So I don't know if that answers the question. Um, but that's, that's kind of some of what I've kind of learned. It does because we're asking questions that can't be answered today. Yeah, so. exactly. I'm like, how do you answer <laughs> so these questions? So it fits right in, yeah, yeah, right along right. with the theme today. Um, now, I do have a, a gear we could shift to, unless you guys have any other thoughts to drop right here, but this goes along with our, our outline. I was The only other I thing I was thinking in this here. whole discussion is uh, this goes back to mindsets and the difference between Eastern and Western mindset. We live, obviously, in the Western Hemisphere, Western civilization, where we like everything to be neat, tidy, and resolve at the end of 30 minutes, <laughs> right? The ancients never thought that way. Mm-hmm. The Hebraic mindset is not neat, tidy. It all resolves. They're good with tensions. Yeah. And when we look at the story of the Bible, it's a love story. It's God's story, not our story. It's God's story, and it's a love story. And love is messy. So even you think about it in that context of how God creates man. Man rebels against God. Ugh, the one that he loves the most. That he's poured himself into creating. and But yet God keeps pursuing us. You know. And uh, there, there's these br- flashes of brilliance where his people get it. And they're so <laughs> devoted and committed to him. And then they fall away, and then they're committed, and they fall away, and but yet God continues to pursue us, and so love stories are messy stories, and when we're trying to figure all this stuff out, I think allowing room for 
messiness in our lives. Our lives are never going to go the way we thought they were going to go. They're never going to. They're not going to be perfect. The Bible never talks about perfection in that way. Right. Right. You know, we're this delusion that we've got to live perfect lives. No, that, that's not. That's not a concept that I find in Scripture. Perfection the, the, the is, is in right, no mistakes. So no, that you know, get right with God. God is gracious right. and merciful. Right. <laughs> In the midst of it, and I and I think, if we begin to understand that in our lives, that life is messy, but we have this direction that we're going in, and I I love that that scripture. And I can't remember exactly where it is, but the righteous man falls seven times, hmm. but he keeps getting up again and pursuing. That's faithfulness. Really, at the end of the age. God's going to judge us on one thing. It's not going to be what the size church we built was or how many great things. It's were you faithful to the call. Yeah. And the call was to pursue me, pursue relationship with me. Did you keep getting up mm-hmm. in the midst of your mess and keep running after me? Yeah, him who overcomes this world, right? Yeah. And I think you can sum it up, too, in that, that concept of like what you were saying, with it being a love story, did you learn to love? Mm. You know? Did you learn to love me more? Did you grow yeah. in love? Like, did you grow in love to your brothers? Did you grow in love to your enemies? Did you grow? You know what I mean? You, you go into that whole love story of what he's painting. Like, those are those are. That's a challenge, man. We're going to spend all of you, all of eternity, searching out and gazing upon, beholding the man and beholding his beauty. You know. I think you should sing that right now. <laughs> no, I think you should make that's that a musical, Ryan. <laughs> Did you love your brother? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, man. That's just the quirky humor we have. But um. Well, you know, I, let me give my, uh, my... I'm receiving more than I'm giving. It's, a, it's really a stimulating conversation. I was thinking so much about how, how we'd like to be able to take our heart and give it to you men who maybe who are... Um, you know, you're stumbling along the journey or you don't feel like you have a place at the table or... You know, you don't feel like you have the support you have. This idea of this intimacy of God is so real, so real. It's almost impossible to explain how he guides our steps, how he creates this call in us to, to um, Lord, show me your ways. How um, through the, the wrong turns and the right turns, he's there and he's faithful and he's leading and, and he and he shows that to us. We all have these stories to tell. And I was thinking about where we started with this idea of worldview. Think, keep in mind that you're battling for that blessing. You have to reach out and take it. You can't let anyone take it from you. We're, culture is hostile to grace. We've been talking about the, um, the, uh, the lies of the enemy. But don't be deceived. You know, this hostile is not a friend. The, the culture is not a friend to grace. That's good. It's not going to nurture that sense of your identity as a son of God. It's not going to cultivate or give you its blessing or affirmation unless you unless you bend the knee to its way. Um, you know, it, it amazes me. And Pastor Ken, you'll, you'll, and Brian, Ryan, you guys all know this, but so often the the narrative of the scripture is is a story half told, right? We know there's a problem, <laughs> which the problem, by the way, came after the Father's blessing. The blessing is a creation principle, <laughs> independent 
of, you know, the decisions that we make, his orientation, his willingness to bless, that that's his character, his steadfast love. We know there's a problem. We know God works the solution. We call that salvation in all of its many faceted, remarkable realities that go into salvation. So we, that problem-solution model, but what the one movement that we fail to calibrate is then he takes us as the solution, as the solution and he puts us back amidst the problem. Yeah. And the, the, that problem is the context that we inherit on the ruler of life that yeah. we've been talking about. A, a culture that is separated from God, in many ways is hostile to God, cannot teach us about God. We have to go back upstream to the text, to the revelation of God. Genesis is a a touchstone for us. It's a beginning point for us. It's something we continue to circle back around to. This is what, um, this is the salvation work of Jesus. And it's something worth fighting for. We fight for our God, we fight to receive his blessing, and we fight to give everything we can, we have, to those who don't know. And that's a good thought. On I have some closing dialogue that we could probably dive into a little bit here. <clears throat> you said the word fight. Yeah. You know, it's and, and we talked earlier about how the Talmud, the word guardian mm-hmm. came out and that we're guardians of the way, kind of like this way of living, this lifestyle. So there is a standard. And I think that's one of the problems in culture, especially the Western culture, like Ken was talking about, is we've watered down the standard and we've called it grace. You know, grace, oh, it's okay. Just come as you are. Don't change. Mm-hmm. Right. Everyone loves to come as you are, but you don't go as you are. You have to leave different, um, and and there's a tension in that. So I I kind of thought in my in my mind I was like we've looked back most of this this talk, and just maybe for a few minutes at the end we could look forward because if we look forward to the world that's coming, the full installment of the kingdom that we have full access to here through the Spirit of God is going to come and manifest in the natural where I will see it, and um, hmm. that so I, we live kind of between. Um, the cross we live we live post cross and pre installment of the world to come you know which includes a government which includes a way of life which is the way of life we're living now champion now and the word imunah the whole concept of being faithful to me is a huge um, hint and clue and discovery to a man finding his purpose my purpose is going to align with faithfulness and I loved it when I learned it from you guys many, many, many years ago. Imunah, right? Imunah. Yeah. Like, it's the one, if I do get a tattoo, it's the one word I'll tattoo <laughs> on my arm, right? Imunah. Because like, it'll just be a great discussion, you know? Like, what's that? And then it just leads into all kinds of things. But Imunah, the whole concept of being faithful and how it, that really describes faith. Yeah, 90 percentile of its definition is, is just put the word full after it. Faith, just to be faithful. Mm-hmm. And Yeshua, so for me as a man... I want to learn the text. That's where I'm going to find the heart of God. That's where I'm going to see what, what God put faithfulness on display first, and then He calls us to it. You know, it's that law of the first. I forget the correct terminology of it, but 
the first mention, right? In scripture, yeah. you go mm-hmm. back to first the first usage. thing and first usage. And so when I when I think of like the coming world, if we're gonna look forward, what's my purpose in the world to come? Because I kind of like this. See if you like this one. Jesus fulfilled the Genesis promise that there would be a battle. Mm-hmm. So his heels bruised, the enemy's heads bruised. Right? There was a bruising, there was a battle. So the enemy is now uh, defeated. In, in the world to come, the world that's coming actually is going to have destructive power over darkness. Like, you Because know, the enemy's not gone in any way shape or form in my world mm-hmm. you know it's like but he's but he's a weak he's weakened yeah his head's bruised and so i look at it this way it kind of gets me excited a little bit like if i'm supposed to live now as a first fruit of a coming world then the the, the enemy and the the people that experience my life the enemy shouldn't just be experienced the bruised the, the defeat of the cross he should be already starting to taste the destruction of a coming world, like that power of the Holy Spirit in us to live upright and to actually overcome this world. He should be experiencing a whole new, whoa, that's a whole new measure coming at me, you know, like in this people that are being raised up. And, and, you know, that's the concept of, you know, the, the, the guardians is that we are, you know, we're part of a people that we're part of an answer. When the skeptic says, well, where was God when all these things happened? And, God, you know, Dwight taught that so brilliantly that God will respond, I was fashioning a people. (laughs) And so I think we've looked back a lot to find our purpose, but looking forward, I can see how my purpose fits even bringing heaven into the earth by the way I live. It it was all about lifestyle. Profaning the name was about lifestyle. You could profane him in your lifestyle or hollowing the name was about how you lived. So there you go. That's a quick little wrap up, right? It's a whole nother podcast, but <laughs> it is because you're 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 you know you're right around Jesus's favorite word, kingdom. Now you're talking about kingdom come, will be done, here and now, you know. And and one one thing I think it's important. I love how you're bringing heaven or the fullness of new creation into the now, right? Because that is uh, that's really key to understand that our lives learned are, it from you guys. Well, our lives are, <laughs> our lives are not on hold till heaven, right? Right? God's not looking to take us up; He's looking for places to come down. Oh, that's so good. Talk about that. Well, <laughs> so good. Man. I mean, He comes down in Genesis, right? He comes down in every the step of the way. Right? The tent of meeting comes yep. down. Temple. Yep. The downward action, you know, Pentecost, yep. Jesus' birth. Like, and then at the end of the book, it's coming down. Yeah. <laughs> right? Like, yeah. We keep thinking we're getting out of here. No, <laughs> you're not. <laughs> new heavens, new earth, you know? Um, beautiful. Anything else, gentlemen? We'll probably break this down into two podcasts. because it's Or like, three. Or three. Like maybe segment this out yeah, a little bit so. Part one, part two, part three. Um. Any other thoughts, or did we? What about what's on there? Did we cover anything else we could throw on there? We could make part four. (laughs) (laughs) I think we covered a lot of the stuff. We did cover a lot of ground. um, Unless you wanted to talk a little bit, but I think it's just a whole other podcast and whole other thing is the critical thinking skills. But that wraps up into the whole thing. We didn't specifically speak to that, but I think it's inherent in everything we've been talking about. Yeah, I think it's there, yeah. Yeah. All right, cool. Well, it's an honor to be here today with you guys. Honor to be in your backyard. 
James. It's an honor to have you. And hey, you know what's funny? Because Ryan Evan always talks about, Ryan and I are the co-founders of Grace Ops, and he always talks about, you know, I'm always kind of, the vision, you know, vision, go after the nation. And he's like, yeah, but we got to build it out for the backyards. And here we are. Boom. In your backyard. backyard. <laughs> That's awesome, man. So This is the template for Grace Ops groups. Right. Meet in the backyard and discuss the Bible. Well, yes. it's been really amazing to be with all you guys. I love each one of you very dearly. And I can't even tell you what Dayton, Ohio means to me all these years. And indebted to all your teachings. So go out and build your band of brothers. Engage the Grace Ops culture. Find us on social media, Grace Ops 212. Share this podcast with somebody. Subscribe to it. And until next time, live upright.